Scared money don't make money. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. On ESPN 1420 and ESPN1420.com. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Rise and shine. Or if you were listening to my boy Lynn Burton last hour, rise and grind. Welcome in to the great Scott show. What is up? You are listening to ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Now on the FM dial at 103.3, the AM dial at 1420 and streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. For those of you listening online via the stream, that is brought to you by Champagne's Market on the Wilson or Champagne's going the extra mile. The Cajuns looked like it was a long mile or a couple of miles last night before they got any points on the board. And while in they came up short on... Two drives in the first half that ended inside the Georgia State 10-yard line, but they turned over on downs when they went for it on fourth down. Scared money, don't make money. Coach Napier is not about to change who he is, how he operates, how he coaches. And, I mean, fourth again, fourth and four. Down 10 nothing. From the Georgia State 13, you think he's going to kick a field goal this time? No. No, he's going for it again. Back to throw. Levi's pass caught, and that is going to be touchdown, Louisiana. Looking Peter for LeBlanc laundry. with the touchdown, and the Cajuns are finally on the board. Yeah, looking for laundry, and there is none this time. Nice throw out of there, and, and, and Bird, they did a good job spreading it. Had to back in the flat, which opened up the curl by Peter and a good, accurate throw. Yeah, that is Jay Walker and Joe Broussard from Learfield and uh, the Rage of Cajun Sports Network on the radio call last night. And you heard G say, looking for laundry, not going to get it. Laundry is in penalties as in there was, it, it seemed like there was a lot more than there actually was in t- uh, against the Cajuns. Now, Coach Napier made it clear after the game, way too many penalties for my liking. Some of them were bad calls. Some of them were justified. Some of them were bad. You know, it, it, it was a Thursday night, but it was a Saturday night in the Sun Belt as far as the officiating is concerned. Six penalties on the Cajuns for 55 yards last night. Coming at crucial times. Two of them, uh, you know, one of them an unsportsmanlike from a coach after the horrendous call for the block in the back on the Eric career punt return for a touchdown, which negated that. Um, but, you know, the Cajuns, they, they were on the wrong end of the penalties. They were on the wrong end of the turnover battle. They were minus one. And they still won. They found a way. They got it done. They were one of four on fourth downs. But 21 to 17, the final there, as Louisiana wins it against Georgia State last night. And Coach Billy Napier, you know, had a lot to say after the game. But he was asked specifically, you know, what did you tell your team? There at halftime. What did you tell your team whenever you went into the half? It was three nothing, but you hadn't, you know, you hadn't put any points on the board. Things just weren't quite going your way. One of the things that I've really been impressed with with our team is, 
you don't have to explain what happened and uh, maybe why we didn't get the result we wanted. They know, right? I mean, we've worked extremely hard around here to develop football IQ. Uh, we teach our systems at a high level. They understand why we're doing what we're doing, how they should do it. Uh, and when something happens, um, they know, okay, hey, uh, this was why we didn't you know, get the result that we need there. So it was a lack of execution, right? Uh, it had nothing to do with, you know, it was a lack of execution, a lack of decision-making, poor fundamentals. I mean, they know. Um, so um, it's just really impressive to me to see that on both sides of the ball and special teams, just really good awareness um, and football IQ and an understanding of why things are maybe not going the way they should. So, you know, we, we had a lot of opportunities in the first half. We, we stalled out in the red zone, went for it twice, didn't get anything out of either possession. So um, if we scored touchdowns there, we got 14 points at the half. Um, they know that, and they know that we're going to go for it and be aggressive. So, um, you know, we used um, – the, the biggest play was the third down call before the fourth down call, right, to get it to fourth down and four. Right? I think it was third and 19 or 18, and we hit the comeback outside the peak. Great throw, great route to get it in position to where it was. Uh... Uh, to Napier's point, it was third and 18 after a holding call on Shane Vallow, which negated what would have been a first and goal from the three. Set up the play to Peter LeBlanc. He reels it in, 14-yard gain. Now it's fourth and four. Bam, they get the touchdown. They were down 10 nothing. Georgia State got their first touchdown of the game after the only turnover of the game. They had the momentum. Cajuns desperately needed a drive and points there, and they got it. You know, some fans are saying, oh, you should have done better. You could have done better. Look, I'm not going to argue with you that they could have done better and style points and you're ranked in the top 25 and blah, blah, and all that stuff. I don't I don't need to argue with you about that. But if you're not satisfied with the win, if you're not a believer in a guy that consistently coaches tight games and wins since 2019, Louisiana is 28 and five, first of all, so they win a lot. But but on top of that, there have been 10 games since 2019 that the Cajuns and their opponent, the final score was decided by four or less. And the Cajuns are 9-1 in those 10 games. If it's a close game, they usually win. The only loss, the two-point loss to Coastal Carolina last season. Whose players still get on social media and talk trash even when they're not playing last night. About the Cajuns crowd. Cajun fans are like, yeah, well, it would have been the fifth largest crowd in your history. Which is true, and that's a good burn, and that's good. That's good. But about the crowd, 16,700. Not good enough. Yeah, it was cold. Yeah, it was a Thursday night. The fans that did show up, shout out to you. You were loud. It was good, but that's not enough. Not enough for a for a top 25 team. It's not enough for a team that is a great representative of the community. It's not enough for a team that just won their eighth game in a row, fourth straight Sunbelt West Division title, and will play in their fourth consecutive Sunbelt Conference Championship. And if they keep winning, we'll get to host that conference championship game. Just win. You know, you heard Coach Napier mention Peter LeBlanc a few times. I played a highlight of him catching it. He was great last night. I mean, he was that, that 
pri- he's had some big plays in his career. Now, last year he was dealing with injuries a little bit. Um, but he he was nine catches, 118 yards, a touchdown, crucial catches, as Coach Napier pointed out. I asked Coach specifically after the game about Pete and that performance and how you know he had three big catches on the opening drive of the game, which ended up not coming away with points because they, they didn't get the fourth down conversion inside the, the Georgia State 10. But from start to finish, my point was it seemed like Pete was a big part of the game plan. And when I mentioned that to Coach Napier, he had this to say. Yeah, I agree. Pete was, um, you know, the ball went his way tonight, you know. Um, and uh, he plays our Z position. And and the big thing is the guy made – he made some great plays, you know, really good job running after the catch, made some critical third down plays, had one fourth down catch there. Uh, good job on the speed sweeps. We hit him on some of those deep over routes. So, you know, Pete's been a guy that played as a freshman. You know, he's really been a consistent performer for us. was a little banged up last year. Uh, maybe didn't have as much much production, didn't contribute, but we we've gotten him healthy uh, in the off season, and um, he was lights out tonight for sure. There it is, and and as far as you know, midweek games go, that was it for this year. And you know, the Cajuns will be in a bowl game. It's possible that bowl game could be on a on a weekday, but from here on out, in terms of the regular season and the conference championship game, it's Saturdays. So enjoy this Saturday off. Then you got 13th, 20th, 27th, and then on the 4th. Watch some other college football this weekend. LSU, Alabama, the least amount of buzz uh, I can remember around that game, maybe ever, honestly. Um, And that's a shame. I have some theories as to why, which I'll get into later in the show. We're going to bring Gus Cattengill on next for the Pro Nola segment. My guy, Gus, we're going to talk about the Cajuns game last night against Georgia State. We're going to talk Pels. And yes, we are going to talk a lot of Saints football. A lot of Saints football. It's all coming your way. Pro Nola segment. We'll open up talking about Napier and the Cajuns. The win last night. We'll talk about the Pelicans 1-8. and Where's the buzz? And then we will dig into the Saints. Who's starting Sunday, Trevor or Taysom? Odell Beckham, Brown's expected to release him today. Will the Saints pick him up if he clears waivers? Can that happen? Will it happen? We're doing it all right here on The Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticketed sports. Now on the FM dial at 103.3, on the AM dial at 14.20, and online streaming via the app worldwide. Don't go anywhere. We're right back right after this with the man, the myth, the legend, Gus Catgill.
back into the great Scott show ESPN Lafayette on a Friday morning ESPN Lafayette 103.3 on the FM dial 1420 on the AM dial and streaming worldwide via the app. It is time for the pro Nola segment, but we are going to still talk some Cajun football spit the whole first segment on last night's game at Cajun field. The, uh, Cajuns go scoreless for nearly three quarters, then score touchdowns on their final three drives, excluding the very last drive where the clock ran out and they walked off victorious. Their eighth straight win. Uh, it wasn't easy. Georgia State is feisty as as bleep. Um, they were talking a lot of trash and uh, Cajuns just kind of didn't go their way early. But Coach Napier said after the game, he kept talking about poise, poise, you know. A lot of teams might have splintered when things didn't go their way. They stuck with it, and uh, they're the Sunbelt West champions for the fourth year in a row. And uh, Gus joins me now. We're going to talk Saints and Pelicans, of course. But, Gus, before we do, uh, the Cajuns, man. Um, I know that it's some weeks it's a blowout like, like last Saturday, and other times it's a uh, shoot, man. It goes down to the wire. But if you look at the number of four-point games the Cajuns have been in the last couple of years – Coach Napier's won all but one of those games. I mean, they they win these close games pretty much all, almost every time. And uh, last night was another example of it. I know they were bigger favorites. I know that style points and all that other stuff. Bottom line is, man, um, they just they, they, they find ways to win. Yeah, man, it was crazy when you look at it. And, you know, I'm watching the game, Scott, like, you know, obviously you are and you know, you say it's 3 nothing, and it's, you know, getting close to halftime. You're like, wow, you know. But, man, I, I'd like to say I'm not surprised. I mean, in my conversations I have with Coach when he comes on our show, we've talked about that specifically. We've, we've talked about it over at Arkansas State in that game and, you know, how having players that have been there and done that before, you, you, you can exhibit, you know, what you just said, poise and belief that you can still win and all those different aspects of it. And, you know, you look at that game-winning drive, for starters, the scores are run. And how many times, Scott, this season have we watched the Cajuns, you know, that Arkansas State game? I mean, I, the big play comes off of a run. And, you know, he touched on how the importance to him of being able to run the football and score by running the football is key. We had the show yesterday, and, you know, the voice of the Cajuns is like, hey, I'm telling you, the best thing on this team is the defense. And you saw the defensive stands that they made. And at the end, I mean, they're driving. And uh, how many big plays, you know, there in the PBUs and, you know, on fourth down making that, that, that stop. I mean, that wasn't a bad throw. It hit the receiver in the hands. And, you know, solid play by the, you know, DB to make sure there was an incompletion. And, you know, again, I just – the poise. I mean, I go back to that, that, that play. Levi, you know, scrambles left. He could have maybe run it, bought enough time. You know, found this guy, delivered a perfect bullet, and you know that led to the to the score a couple plays later. Man, it just it, it's what I've told you before, man. I mean, even when you come on your show, and I, again, I'm not, you know, saying this because I, I don't, you know, l- like your audience, man. It's just it, it's why I respect Billy Napier and the Cajuns so much, and it's why I talk about him with LSU or any other team, and it's why last week you and I talked about why I think he and his staff. You know, are just so good, and, and it's what you're what you're alluding to. Um, you almost take for granted a lot of times until you watch teams in schools like I have with it with LSU or you know other teams that the look panic, don't know what they're doing. But you legitimately have a coach 
and I go back to my conversation I had with them after the Arkansas State win, that they practice those situations. They talk about it. You know, they are confident, even though they didn't go on, you know, succeed on every fourth down they went on last night, but they practice those things. So it makes sense, Scott, right? I mean, it's, it's the same thing why you can do your show every morning and there's no nervousness, yet you'll, you know, meet people and they're like, how do you talk for two hours? Or, you know, how, how are you not get nervous when you interview somebody? When, when you do it and you prep for it, there is no nervousness, right? right. Scott, you have a big guest on or something, you, you've prepped, you know what you're doing, you know your topic, you know your flow. You, and at the same time, a lot of times, how many of those interviews go exactly to, you know, the questions you jotted down on the napkin in front of you? You know, I mean, you, you listen, you adjust, you go with it. And that, that's just the thing that really um, impresses me about where Cajun football is right now. You know, you, you, and I'm not saying you nonchalantly said it, but the same thing like Jay Walker said to me two weeks ago after that win at Arkansas State where, hey, you're bowl eligible. He's like, I didn't even mention it in the broadcast because that's not where they are anymore. And, you know, you're a division champ. But it's to the point now, Scott, where that's expected, and, and that's what you're supposed to do, and that's where you are. And I think that is such a good place, and that is a good thing, and it's something that I've fought here for years when it's the, the two-lane fan base or you name it where – well, we know LSU does it, and stop it. Just win your division, win your conference, be a consistent bowl team. That will bring in revenue. That will bring in a fan base. That will sell your tickets. That will help you build facilities. That will help you recruit better. That will get you a better name. It just it's on and on and on. And when you start building a program like that, whether it's coach and you know, coach decides to move on or whatever, it's a, it's a destination where when that job comes open, good young up-and-coming coaches that are hungry want that, you know, as opposed to, well, I'll go there because it's my first gig. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that this is where it is, but when you are a consistent winner and you consistently win the division, you consistently are battling for the conference title, um, it it just it just feeds the machine, man, you know, to an extent it's a, you know, a, a smaller version. Of what, that's why Bama succeeds, man. It's just, it, it you have to build something to where, Right now, and I think it's legitimately like that. We have a bunch of people that call the show or, or cover high school athletics. And, Scott, I'm telling you, I mean, the kid that scored a touchdown, you know, to, to win, I mean, Mitchell, I mean, that was a kid that didn't get recruited or looked at by a lot of these schools. And I talked to guys that knew him in high school, and they're like, that kid could ball. But Coach Napier was the one that went and got him and knew he could help him oh, win. Montreal Johnson, and, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's what, that's what I'm saying, man. It's just when, when, you, when you look at it, that's that's what's key. I just I don't know. I, I'm watching that drive and I was nervous. You know, <laughs> they're trailing and you got to score and you're like, no, he's gonna find a way. And um, I they're, don't know. Uh, they're it, 28 it, and five. It's a big you know, thing to win the division like that, man. And just consistently do it. And you saw the happiness on the field. 28 and five since 2019. That's a lot of winning. Um, and I know style points. You know, uh, you won 45 nothing Saturday. You know, the Thursday before, you won by a point. You know, last night, you won by four. But you, you continuously win. And look, there were things last night that weren't perfect. There were things last night that weren't good. Uh, you lost the turnover battle. You had a lot of penalties. Some of them justified. Some of them weren't. Um, you know, there was a, a, a bad block in the back calling a punt return for a touchdown. But the reality is, there were some aspects of last night's game that... Coach Napier said something afterwards when he was asked by us, you know, what 
what helped you guys turn things around? You you had gone scoreless. Granted, you had two drives where you're inside the 10 of the opponent. You don't get it when you go for it on fourth. But still, kind of just struggling in various areas offensively. What really turned things around? And he said, listen, you don't have to... One thing I really like about this team is you don't have to explain what happened to them when something goes bad. You don't have to explain to them why we didn't get the result we wanted. Like, they know. Mm -hmm. He said, look, we worked hard around here on football IQ. So when something happens... They know why we didn't get the desired result. Like, it, it, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on something. You know, we just focus on you know uh, executing and, and the opponent and things like that. And you know, he to 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 have a football team with a high IQ, uh, it's important, man. And in those moments, and I can tell you something. Last night, last thing on the Cajuns, and I'll I'll get back to the Cajuns next hour. Is Gus and I are going to talk a little Saints and Pelicans pro Nola segment. But last thing with you on the Cajuns, you know, you, you, you don't score in the first half. You miss it on fourth down again. And the Cajuns went into the game last night, number one in the country in fourth down con, uh, conversion rate for anybody that's gone for it 15 or more times. They were number one. I don't know where they rank today, but they're still ranked pretty high. I mean, they're 14 of 19 on the season. But, like, after Georgia State makes that stop, I was down on the field at that point, Gus. I mean, the Cajuns are going into the tunnel, and Georgia State has to wait for them to go in because it's the same tunnel. And they have, I mean, that's a feisty team, the Panthers. And they've got seven or eight guys, and they are yelling expletives, and they are going at it, and they are talking trash, standing right there at the goalpost. And it was like, it, it might as well have been like no one there. It wasn't like the Cajuns were sort of, it wasn't like they were in any way intimidated or like didn't want any. They just didn't care. It was so businesslike, like, it's not a big deal. You know, we'll figure this thing out. Um, you know, they turn it over and then Georgia State has their biggest offensive play of the game. You know, a 37-yard catch and run by the tight end. Now it's 10 nothing, and they just never seem, I don't know, worried. So, right. uh, you know, poise is big, and you can point to some negatives from last night. I, I'll just point to a lot of the positives, though. And, yeah, they got some stuff to work on, but they've won eight in a row. They've won a fourth straight Sunbelt West division, and they want the Sunbelt outright. So they're back in the conference championship game. Got a couple of games before that, but this is a team that uh, is ranked in the top 25. You know, I, I guess – one other disappointing thing, the crowd was really bad last night. 16,007 ain't cutting it. I always was a Thursday night. It was cold. I get all of that. But um, last Saturday, you had an amazing crowd. Last night, it was it was not great. The ones that were there were loud. But aside from that, it was um, it was a win. I need, I, I'll talk more cages next hour. Anything you want to close on for the cage before we uh, talk a little Saints? Yeah, it's just kind of to your point, too, man. It's like... Um, I, I guess just understanding and appreciating what you have, man. And and as you mentioned, the record over the last several several years, twenty eight. I mean, that's winning, man. <laughs> At the end five. of the day, that's what you're judged on. And and quite honestly, it's um it's cool to see that. To your point of just the business like mentality, that's again that comes through confidence. That's understanding you'll you'll make the moves. And it's almost like Scott when, when you have a team that's trying to do that. that they're trying to find some sort of way to get in your head because I think they, they know that if you're playing to the best of your ability, it's not going to. And, look, it's something that I know Coach Napier will never say. And, it, look, it is what it is. You play these Tuesday, Thursday, 
games to help give your program notoriety. And it's not about the amount of fans. It's, it's you know, the fact that I was at dinner, you know, Scott, for some of it, and it, it's on 20 TVs, essentially, you know, and everyone's watching, you know, Louisiana plays football. And I, I do think, though, while that benefits your brand, it benefits your recruiting, it benefits your name, that's challenging. I mean, oh, yeah. you know who Alvin Kamara is. And when Alvin Kamara sits there and says after the Seattle game, I hate Monday night football because it's a short week and we got to get ready for Tampa, you know, division viral, the Super Bowl champs. So when that guy who clearly prepares himself knows what he's doing is in a system and on the franchise and organization that, I mean, it is all about winning when it affects them and he says it makes it harder i can't imagine man when you consistently are i mean look at the schedule i i we've legitimately talked about this on our show with coach napier it's you know that's a challenge the amount of midweek games that he's had and when you start breaking it down in three or five four six or whatever it i mean it, it's hard to do you talk about recovery of bodies Talk about getting ready, getting game plans in, um, changing your, your routine. And, and, Scott, you know this from covering sports, talking sports, playing sports all your life. Athletes are creatures of habit, man. Creatures of habit. And when you are changing, we have kids. What is the number one thing to do when you have a kid? Put them in a routine. What time is bed? What time is food? What time is nap? There's a reason. When you're at a restaurant, you see kids crying, and it's 1231 o'clock. Why? My wife told me this before we had a kid. Nap time. I mean, you know all about nap time, right? I mean, you, you know when a kid is tired and doesn't get its nap. Scott, you know what's going to happen that evening. It's going to be miserable. If a kid goes out and, like mine does and sleeps over by the grandparents and they don't put him to bed till 9, 30, 10 o'clock when he goes to bed at 7, what's going to happen when you pick him up the next day? The cranky little dudes. I mean, it's just it's about routine. And I think when you look at this division title and – how they've gone about it. When you do look at the midweek games and all the things you had to go through, that's why, you know, you're talking about style points. Like, did they get a win? That is not easy to do. Tuesday, we'll play Saturday. We play Thursday. We'll play Saturday. Here's another Thursday game. Let's play two. I mean, that that's not easy to navigate, man. It, it really honestly is. Gus Cagnell, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Is our guest uh, talking Cajun football? All right, let's let's um, we're not going to do football on football. Let's talk briefly about the Pels, and then we'll take a quick timeout, and we'll get into the Saints. Um, I was on your show this week, Pelicans. We talked about them. They're one and eight. All the headlines seem to be negative. Your two best players are injured. One, your franchise player hasn't played at all this year. Charles Barkley's making jokes. Uh, they're playing hard for Willie. There doesn't appear to be any kind of negative, I guess. There doesn't, like, you, you don't have, like, the Eric Bledsoe sort of I don't want to be here type looking performances out there. I mean, the guys are working hard. But, it's you know, you're missing your best players. And you're losing. And you're losing a lot. And I just, it's weird, you know. I get that that the Pelicans aren't going to be sort of the most covered, talked about team in the state. 
but that's going to be the Saints. But the fact that they're one and eight right now, I mean, if you had Zion and Ingram and, and even if you were above 500, just they, I, I feel like there would be more buzz. Gus, this is, as, this is the, the, the least amount of buzz surrounding this franchise that I can remember in recent memory. I mean, it's been a minute. I mean, after, you know, when the AD stuff happened, when he requested the trade and then he didn't get it and then he wanted to play and he played a little and then he played not at all and then he played a little. I mean, that was, the, the interest was pretty down then. And then it, bam, it ramped up when they won the draft lottery. But like outside of that, outside of the 2010 season, which was, you know, or the, the excuse me, the 2011, 2012 season where they were playing only 66 games, strike shortened season, or rather lockout rather, um, and, you know, and that was the, the year they had just traded Chris Paul to the Clippers. Like I, I can point to some moments here or there. But here you are in year three of Zion and Ingram. And I know it's early in the season, Gus, but you're on ESPN late tonight at Golden State. You're probably not going to have Brandon Ingram playing. You're definitely not going to have Zion. I mean, I, 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 if I'm ESPN, I'm upset about that. I have to air this game tonight. I hate to say it. I mean, I'll be watching, but wh- I, tell me something positive. Like, try to cheer me up when it comes to the Pels. Well, it's the worst case scenario. I mean, it, it, if you're David Griffin and you're the Pelicans, right? I mean, Drew Brees retires. You, there's an opening. There's an opening. And I know it's a football city, it's a football state, but Scott winning attracts, period. Um, if Zion was the person that you had drafted and thought he would be and he'd be healthy and he'd be playing and this team would have won some games, it, it, there's an opening. And I don't know if to really say it. Instead, it's been compounded. I mean, it, you already had a worst-case scenario. You already knew the backlash you were going to get and the disdain for you know, the fact that you – go to media day and say, by the way, Zion's hurt and had surgery. I mean, I, I can't even tell you, dude, how my phone went off. I mean, when, when, when that came out at 10 a.m. on media day that Monday, it was like, you've got to be kidding me. And it came on the heels of the Michael Thomas thing, essentially. You know, of, well, when did you know this? Like, how did you not know this? Why didn't you say this? Like, wait, there was surgery in June? And you know, we're being told this in 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 October. It's just it it's just there's a reason on Monday Mark Spears and Brian Windhorse in their Hoop Central podcast talked about it, how they've botched it and there there is no trust right now in the miscommunication and you know, kinda of alluded to the fact that it's almost like a Thomas situation where it, 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 it definitely comes across like the Pels weren't aware of the severity or the timing of this injury. And Scott, you've heard me say it to you on my show. I've said it to you several times and I almost felt like my show this week turned into bashing the Pelicans on, you know, and it wasn't on purpose, but the thing is this, how do you go? I, I, I'm not surprised from this aspect. You, you come up with this piece where 
the family's unhappy the day after the season ends, or two days after, right? Whenever the presser is. And from that point, we talked about it for days and weeks after. When are you going to clarify it? If it's not accurate, clarify it. If it's some drunk uncle that's just telling a reporter this, clarify it. If it's just, hey, look, we're just, fr- I mean, he could have easily text TNT. It'll put him on the you know desk. He could have done a guest hosting, Chuck and Shaq. He could have just chuckled it off like he did in October when he said to Fletcher, I'm glad you asked me that. I love the city and everything. Man, and you said it, Scott. You said that was the most rehearsed that you'd ever seen. You know what? He could have done that on TNT like Draymond Green fills in every now and then. And he could have been, man, look, I'm just frustrated, guys. I want to win. I love the city. You know me. I, look, I'm here. I love this game. And then people would have just moved on. But when you don't clarify it, you pretty much solidify it. And then from that point on, you don't meet your teammates in Vegas. You don't meet up with Brandon Ingram. There's conflicting reports if he did or didn't ghost him. He didn't respond to Willie Green. Conflicting reports there, depending on who I talked to. You know, I mean, Willie kind of alluded to it. He was like, I haven't talked to Zion yet. That's absolutely baffling to me. On the day or the day before, because again, we find out of the coaches hiring way after it actually happens. You're going to tell me that if Sean Payne would have left for the Cowboys and whoever the new head coach is and gets introduced, you telling me Drew Brees wouldn't have at least text that guy? Seriously? So in three months, the track record is I'm unhappy or my family is. I don't meet with the players that I'm going to have to play with to get better, who I'm apparently complaining about that needs to be better around me so I can succeed. You don't get closer with the second best player on your team in BI and you legitimately don't respond to your coach. I, I, I don't, you know, I mean, dude, I, it's just, like I said, it's just, it, it couldn't have been a worst off season and it's bled into the regular season because whatever he did or didn't do or whatever the luck of the draw is, or the fact that it's not healing as fast as they wanted to bottom line is this, you're one and eight, you're facing the six and one team. And you're saying, if I'm ESPN, I'm upset. Not really. Warriors are good. Warriors are fun to watch. I'll tune in to watch Curry drain shot and watch that team shoot away. So you're still going to get people there. Of course, you want a better matchup in game. But early on in the season, football is heavy. College football is heavy. Your NBA, your NBA fan or your casual fan on ESPN just wants to see Steph Curry drop 40. You know, so I, I just it just stinks, man, because my topic this week, and I don't know if it's been for yours, Scott, but mine's been real simple. By the time this guy comes back in December, and that's – I'm just throwing out a guess, right, because – they said three weeks to rescan him, and if that is okay, he's cleared to practice against five-on-five live action. And from what I'm told, it's three practices before he can play. He has to go through three practices and be okay. So you're looking at December. If you don't have ten wins, Scott, by then, what are you really going to have? Because you're essentially looking at having to win thirty or forty games. Like you're, I mean, Schmidt Dua. Bourbon Street Shots has been tweeting about this item on my show on Thursday. We talked about this. Like, we're not, I'm not saying 
you know, it's over and all this other stuff. But you know what? I'm legitimately not upset at one and eight. And you talk about the buzz, Scott, and why their lack is. I, 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 how about look at it this way? I think Kells fans have almost resigned to the fact that this is not going to be a playoff season. It's not going to be the type of season that they want. And you know what? It may not be the worst thing if you pick high again. And I think I'm telling you right now, 80% of my calls this week had nothing to do. Think of this, Scott. With the Saints losing their starting quarterback and their number one receiver is not coming back to play this year, I'm telling you 80% of my calls were people absolutely blasting the Pelicans. That was, well, I'm glad. Uh, at least at least there's, uh, hey, that's something. Well, let, let, right? let, let, at let least the reaction you. is there because blasting I, I'm i not getting Zion. anything over here and laughing yet. Blasting Zion. Let, let, I want to clarify that. People want the Pels to succeed. I get one or two yahoos that say sell it. But for the most part, I'm telling you, the shine has come off of we have anointed this person as saving this franchise, rightfully so or not, because I think they feel like they want to see the effort on the other end. And it doesn't help when literally on Tuesday night, Chuck is saying that he looks like him and Shaq had a baby. You had, you know, like I said, Mark Spears and Windhorse say this is on him. Mark Stein writes something that at some point you got to say this is on Zion to get in better shape. Vince Carter on NBA Today this week said this guy's got to get in better shape. It is not yeah, been a good week I, for the Zion. I'm just telling you. Yeah, and no, and based off of my show, and I'm nothing, I'm nobody. But well, yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't again, go that far. Think Don't be so hard on yourself. Your Saints quarterback is gone for the year and your best receiver. And people would chime in and be like, yeah, we're still going to beat the Falcons. But the Pelicans, think about that. Like, I'm glad to hear. Hey, I'm glad to hear it because that's better than nothing, which is what's what has been like here in Lafayette. That's that's better than nothing. Injuries on the football team. Fan base feels that they can still win. Yet the basketball fan base with the same injuries feel like they don't have a prayer. Like it's crazy. Like I'm telling you, Saints fans are they're confident. Saints fans are confident. Gus Cat Gale is our guest, ESPN Lafayette. Speaking of that's crazy, we're going to talk about those Saints when we come back. It's the Pro Nola segment. We already talked a good bit of Cajun football, the win last night. Sound from it. We'll talk more Cajun football next hour. That game last night. We'll look ahead to the NFL schedule this week. And, of course, we'll talk Saints-Falcons. But the state of the Saints how are they 5-2? and two? Are they going to get into the playoffs? Gus and I were talking on his show Wednesday about the QB situation. Let's dig in some more. The Great Scott Show continues right after this. I'm Scott. That's Gus. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Ladies and gents, attention. Dives in the house with Beastie Boys. We can turn it out. Perpetrators, we can point them out. So if you got something on your mind, let it out. Like a Nexus 6 coming home. What up, guys? I'm here to tell you about the DraftKings Sportsbook that's coming to Louisiana. I'm not talking about the fantasy aspect of DraftKings, which is awesome. I'm talking about the actual sportsbook because it won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home and to celebrate... 
DraftKings Sportsbook is giving customers $100 in free bets when you sign up before they go live. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook giving $100 in free bets just for signing up today. No deposit required. It's bringing their experience as a leader in daily fantasy sports to the sports betting world and have created one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, DraftKings Sportsbook. In the meantime, while they're preparing to launch the DraftKings Sportsbook in Louisiana, you can play right now for huge cash prizes with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code 1420 when you sign up because when you do, $100 in free bets to use on mobile sports betting in Louisiana as soon as it hits. That's code 1420 to get $100 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-877-770-STOP. Must be 21 or older. Louisiana only. Availability varies by parish. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. It's ESPN Lafayette now on the FM dial at 103.3. The AM dial at 14.20. Streaming worldwide via the app. It's the Pro Nola segment. Gus Cattengale, our guest. We talked a good bit about Louisiana's 21-17 win over Georgia State. We talked about the state of the Pelicans. Now let's talk some Saints football, Gus. Um, they're 5-2. and two. Uh, a, a, just a wild, memorable win last Sunday on Halloween against the Bucks, which we've talked a lot about this week, and I know you have on your show as well. But um, let's start with Jameis, um, and then and then kind of segue into the quarterback situation. Seems like everybody feels really bad for Jameis, um, whether it be fans, whether it be the media, whether it be the Saints, Sean Payton, the coaches, the teammates. You got Alvin Kamara and Teron Armstead going into the tent to check on him. Sean Payton saying he was crying. I mean, this, uh, he's not, look, tore his ACL, damaged the MCL. Who knows? He's got a rehab. We'll see how he comes back. He may not play for the Saints again. That will be TBD. But, man, it was almost like the win was exciting and it was against the Bucks and, it almost took a little bit of the heat away from Jameis's injury, and I guess just how 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 much that hurts the team. Um, I think everybody sort of realized for him how bad they felt for him and, and how much it sucks for him. But you know, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks in a minute, Gus, and and, and I've seen a li- I, I think I've seen some pretty dumb things on on social media regarding this quarterback situation. Some of it being, oh, uh, they're going to be better off now, like. Trevor Simeon is not better than da- in Jameis Winston. Taysom Hill is not better than Jameis Winston. The Saints, they're, they're taking another step back at quarterback, man. And this injury, they've been able to overcome it. Sean Payton's done some amazing things. Make no mistake, this is going to be another tough, tough obstacle for this team to overcome. I, I think one of the things that you bring up is a very interesting point where, again, I almost feel like we've been lulled into some false sense of reality where, um, and, and not, not false sense. Look, Sean finds a way. This team has found a way. I think Kamara said it best after win Sunday that when they saw Jameis went down, 
all the skill position players got together and said, okay, we got to pick our game up. Demario Davis said, everybody on the defensive side said, we got to pick our game up. They have a bunch of leaders. They have a bunch of leadership, which is why probably what's happening with the Pelicans is what it is. Right? Who is your leader on that team? Who, who is that guy? You know, you're still waiting for to see who that is. Um, and, you know, the, the thing that is incredible to me is it's nuts, almost like when you say it, people don't hear it. Like, say the phrase, you lost your starting quarterback. In the NFL, a starting quarterback is everything. Like, you you, you got to have one if you even remotely want to win a championship or go to the playoffs and stuff. Look, I get it, man. You know, the Saints have played good defense. I mean, they're 10th in overall defense. They're fourth, um, you know, in points allowed. They, they are playing very well, and it's keeping them in games. But let's not kid ourselves. You you have to score, and you're going to have to against some of these better teams. And, man, that position is, is vital. It's crucial if you don't have one. And I thought, again, Sean was doing an excellent job, almost like in those six. You know, there's so many parallels to If you go back to that year, first off, the Saints were only 10 and 6. I know a lot of people would kind of act like, they were, you know, 15 and one. Oh, the 2000 season, The first man. five or six games, you know, Scott, most of them were comebacks leading into the Dome, right, for the, you know, the Dome coming. Uh, you know, what was it, oh, Green 06, Bay right. and Cleveland, yeah, and they, they had to come back and win those games. Um, they were not the high-powered dropping 30 in the first half offense. Right. It was a couple of seasons down the road. Um, so I think that's the thing is that, you know, you were in its infancy of where Jameis was with this offense. The guy played, what, six games or whatever it was. So you, you saw the purpose, Sean, saying, look, my D works, um, 41 solid, we're going to do this. Don't, don't kill us on offense. Wait. And, again, you, you went through it last week. The, the, the receiving core is pedestrian. It's not, not ripping them. They're Come on, man. Compare them to some of the, the, the receiving core of the rest of the league. They're, they're not elite. Let's not kid ourselves. The, the seasons and years the Saints were 113 wins and all that. That talent's not on the team. It's not. I mean, it's just not. We, we hated Jared Cook, but I keep bringing it up. The guy led the team in touchdowns last year at seven. Um, you know, you had Emmanuel Sanders, the guy that everybody begged for for two seasons. Number two, they had him. Your number one hasn't played like you have a kick returner as, your, as, as a guy right now as your deep threat. I mean, we're, we're patting ourselves on the back because Traquan Smith caught a ball. <laughs> that was Jameis's best one. throw, too. That throw <laughs> was incredible, touchdown. man. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it, when you look at all of that, um, it's remarkable they're 5-2. and two. And, and probably should only have one loss. They were up 11 against the Giants in the fourth. So, But because of that, I keep bringing that up. Because that's why it is a big deal. You lost your starting quarterback. Um, those deep balls you saw at Green Bay and, and Washington, I can do that, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has talent. I think he was going to get better. And I think that offense was going to explode once they got weapons, once people that can get open, once he played with the full line. He never played with the full offensive line this year that was supposed to be, ever. Um, it's sad. It, it's sad. And, and to your point, 
you are taking a step back. That's a very good statement that you made. Um, Trevor Simeon, I mean, he's not, you know, I mean, there's a reason he's not starting. And it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying he's not not a starter. Taysom Hill lost the quarterback competition. He lost the quarterback competition when he was given every single opportunity to win the quarterback competition. So if it's him, again, remember the reasons and the things that kept him from winning the quarterback competition. They're still there reading the field, using his legs, doing all those different aspects of it. Um, now, the one benefit that is it is you're going that way, Scott, is you go back to what Drew Brees said when he was here for the, you know, the golf tournament back in April, and he said it a couple times already since. Taysom Hill is a guy that he thinks could succeed, but you have to build the offense around him. Last year when he's filling in for Drew, you can't do it because Drew is coming back. If you know for the next 10 games, if it's Taysom, that he is your guy, you can reshape and reform your offense and philosophy and your play calls over 10 games to benefit him. So that might be a a positive or a benefit, or do you keep him in his role and you go with Simeon, who, again, I brought this up to you on Wednesday when he came on my show. Ten different Saints players had at least one reception in that game. That's, That's more like Sean Payne's offense. Gus Cagniel, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, our guest is ESPN Lafayette, Pro Nola segment, talking Saints right now, cover the Cajuns, 21-17 win, a little bit of Pels. But on the Saints, uh, Trevor Simeon, I'll say this, he's, he's two games above 500 as a starter in his career. He probably, I mean, I, I don't, I'll be honest, Gus, I don't know every third-string quarterback in the league off the top of my head. Uh, he probably is the best third string quarterback in the league. Now he has to start, but third string and now starting. And I say that because I think he should start Sunday, but will he? Taysom Hill, back at practice Wednesday, the limited participant, cleared some phase of concussion protocol. Yesterday, full participant. That tells you now he's cleared all phases of concussion protocol. So, what's Sean going to do Sunday? Do you start Taysom at quarter? Because he's, he's QB2. Or does Sean say, you know what? I mean, he, he has an out here. He can say, we're going to bring Taysom along slowly. The concussion was really bad. We're going to give him some snaps. But, and, and, and basically give himself an opportunity to let Simeon audition for the role. Because... Maybe Sean didn't know if Taysom was going to be ready, right? Maybe he started making this game plan on Monday. So he's got outs if he wants to just give Simeon another shot with the game plan for an entire week built around him against Atlanta. I think who's ever starting this Sunday definitely doesn't mean they're starting the rest of the season, regardless of what the health is. But right now, I'm kind of leaning toward Trevor Simeon. Who do you think is going to start on Sunday, 7 or 15? You bring up some very good points that I've been bringing up this week that just, again, Sean Payne's a very logical and common sense type individual. And he has, on several occasions this season, including this week on Monday, Scott, said Tuesday's the day. Tuesday is the day that they have their position group meetings, their health meetings, their game plan. Because Wednesday, they're in it. So, based off of that, 
it would seem logical to what you just said. Let I don't know how healthy Taysom is. He hasn't played in a couple of weeks. Asking him to come in and do either some packages or do what he does seems logically easier than coming in and now you're my starting quarterback. I, to me, it seems logical to roll with Simeon against the Falcons, who are okay average team. And then, like you said, that doesn't mean that now Taysom has another week, gets back into the flow of things, gets a couple licks, let's see how he's doing. Now you're starting him against the Tennessee if that's where you want to go. Because there is a part of me, Scott, that says, man, we joked on Fridays on your show during training camp that it almost seemed like come heck or high water, Sean really wanted Taysom Hill to, to win that job. Oh, he was going to give him every opportunity to try to win that job. So, But it was telling, again, it's telling that the, despite that, he didn't. You know what I mean? It's like... Right, but remember... Right, right, and that's the thing. It's like, but he was the guy that was competing with Jameis. It wasn't Simeon. It wasn't a three-man competition. Right. It was Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston. So if that's the case, then why shouldn't it be Taysom Hill? Like, you get what I'm getting at? Like, if you started the season by saying, okay, the battle is between these two guys. Like, I mean, to, to my understanding, right, and to my knowledge... It was never, it's a three-man race. It's a two-man race. So if that's the case, a guy that lost out should be next in line to be your starter, in line to be your starter. To your point, though, I think this week it makes sense at home to go with Trevor and then Taysom had started games. He went out of those four or five last year. He started on the road a couple of them. I could see him starting next week again because that was the guy you said was running in line to be a starter. So now, do you think he can do that? Uh, and then look, there's a, there's a health issue here. I, I, it's reasonable. It's reasonable to say you're somewhat more protected at quarterback coming off of a concussion than being a joker, right? Him running RPOs, him catching passes, higher risk of getting hit, higher risk of hitting your helmet on the turf higher risk of re-injuring after coming back from a concussion. And, Scott, if you get concussed again, are you risking him being done for the year? Yeah, it, so it's, it, that's such a brutal at concussion. Yeah. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, you touch an arm now, and it's a flag. And quite honestly, if he does use his legs and scramble, he can go down, he can run out of bounds, you can still use him. You know, so... I, it's a very interesting, what do you do? Because you can make an argument for both, but I think for this week, because he wasn't full go Wednesday, makes me think he's not starting, but could start moving forward again, only because you started training camp with it's Taysom or Jameis. We will see. I mean, I, I, I think, think Trevor's the starter this Sunday, and I do think if he plays well enough. Thing is, Simeon, I was saying this to you earlier this week when we were talking. He, he's not a bad quarterback. If you go back and watch him at Denver, 
whenever it's the, the, the play that's drawn up, and every play has a few options, right? A, B, C, D, whatever. You know, you have your primary option, secondary, whatnot. He's okay, right? He's not bad. I mean, he had a winning record. I mean, you know, a little bit. Uh, two, he finished, I think, his time in Denver. He was uh, two games above 500. Started one game with the Jets, lost, of course. And now he's, you know, but he's, uh, he, if, it, if a play breaks down, and it doesn't take much for a play to break down. One guy runs the wrong route. One guy doesn't hear the play. One lineman just gets beat. That's not where Simeon is going to be able to do stuff. The thing is, when you look at Taysom Hill, you feel like that's where he should excel. And oddly enough, mm-hmm. it's not. Like, Taysom's football IQ seems to right. be great right. when he's not playing quarterback, which is ironic. Right. But right. whenever it's like, all right, bro, just use your instincts. You're going to be playing this joker role. And the guy is one of the best athletes, you know, the team has ever had. And, and, and then that's the other point. You really need that kind of playmaker right now because you're having to rely on guys with respect, like Lil Jordan Humphrey and, and Kevin White to get passes from Trevor Simeon. I mean, that's where this offense is right now. So uh, you lean on your defense. If, you, if, you, if, if Simeon starts, all you need him to do is be serviceable. They got some tough games on the schedule. Buffalo, uh, you know, the, the Dallas. I mean, I could name some others, but you got Atlanta twice. You got Carolina. They're, they're, they've shown to not be very good. You got Miami. You got, yeah. you got the Jets. You got some bad teams on that schedule. You go five and five, you're in the playoffs. Heck, you might even get in at nine and eight if, as the seven yeah. seed, maybe. So all you need is serviceable with this defense, with that old line, with those running backs. And I, I think Simeon can do it. Taysom, I don't know, man. I, 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 would, I would put my money on Simeon right now, despite the fact that, to your point, Peyton, you know, loves Taysom Mill. And you're right. I can't argue with that. Um, Gus Catgill, our guest, I, but I, I've kept you for a while now. So I want to ask you this one thing before I let you go, my friend. Odell Beckham Jr., it's all over social media, right? Saints, a lot of Saints fans want him. I, I don't think Odell's been particularly an elite receiver for several years now. He's not bad. Um, nobody wants to pick up that salary if he does hit waivers. And... You know, there's some Saints fans holding out hope that somehow he'll end up with the Saints, and I, uh, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Let's say hypothetically, Cleveland decides, okay, fine, here you go, you're released. No one picks it up. He hits the waiver wire. Saints have seven hundred ten thousand dollars in cap space right now. Do you want to sign that guy to a multi-year deal? Does he want to go catch passes from Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill, or does he want to go somewhere where he can make a little bit more money, maybe Vegas? and catch passes from Derek Carr. I, I know that there's a lot of attention on Odell right now. I just, I don't think Odell to this, I don't think it's happening. There's a lot of smoke there, though, and I know your listeners have been talking about it. What's the pulse over there in New Orleans about Odell Beckham Jr.'s future? Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's, it's if the, the hunger and the desire to bring in a player that they seem be talented, I obviously have the the, the, you know, tie to LSU and all this stuff, and, and I get it, but at the same time, man, um, I'd like to say, look, do you want to bring that into your locker room? I mean, the guy gets excused from practice for twice, says he doesn't want to play. His dad posts an 11-minute video of, see, he's open. I mean, is that what you want? Because part of the reason the Saints are 5-2 is because of the locker room, period, period. You have such leadership, and then, you, look, you can converse and say, well, Gus, that's why it'll work, because they'll have people to keep them in check. 
um, in doing that. And look, they brought in Antonio Brown for a workout. They wanted to sign him, but the guy showed up and made a music video, essentially. So that's why, you know I mean? But he got his stuff together, and you see what he's done over at Tampa. So what if you can get you know, Odell Beckham Jr. to you know, sit him down and be like, look at what Antonio Brown's done in Tampa. He's become an elite receiver again. He's become a big weapon. He's become somebody that you, you know, can depend on. W- what if that happens? And to, and to your point, with that contract, it's nine million this year. It's 13 the next two. That's a big deal. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big contract. So, you know, if you're going that route, I mean, are you essentially saying you're done with Michael Thomas? You can't pay two receivers that kind of money. And the other aspect of it, too, Scott, that I keep bringing up is, you know, what are you going to do next year? Who's your quarterback? I mean, you've brought this up before. I think you even did that on Wednesday. You said, look, you know, Hill's contract is this year. Jameis is after this year. I mean, what are you doing for next year? So I just, I just, I ride with what I got this year, see what I can do. If I make the playoffs, man, pop some champagne, you know, uh, be happy you got to where you are this year. And then in the offseason, I think you make an absolute run for everything for Russell Wilson um, because the Seahawks are not making the playoffs. See where, you know, the diva Aaron Rodgers is. That guy can still play. You know, he might be yeah, I'm yeah, looking I'm, at I'm, what Tom Brady has I'm done nice. and say, hey, that's a team that has a defense. They have Alvin Kamara in free agency. They're going to get a receiver. Because he's Aaron Rodgers, other guys may go and play just like Buck players did. Um, I just think, man, investing nine and thirteen million in somebody that I look. I'm not being. I just don't know where his head is. And in this locker room, look, there was video this week of uh, Marquez Callaway. He has a handshake with Deontay Harris. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, that yeah. He does before every game, a pregame handshake. Yeah, there in Seattle. So he did it like he normally does before he takes the field for warm-ups while he wasn't there, and they showed him doing it with Tampa. That's a locker room that's together, Scott. And right or not, the proof is there that there's receipts, right? Like uh, people like to say today, this guy is about himself. I mean, there's no other way to say it. You can say he's about winning, he's about, but he's not. you can't say he's about team. You just can't. And... They're five and two because they're a good team. They care about one another. And I just think, man, look, they made phone calls. So there's interest. And they think that, hey, our environment can handle it. So that answers that. But it's got to be the right price. That's why they didn't pull the trigger. They weren't desperate, and I'm completely okay with it. I'm glad Sean Payton showed restraint. I'm, I'm glad the team said, hey, Look, this is our limit, and if it's, it can make sense, great. If not, I'm completely fine where I'm at, you know, and um, I'm, I'm okay with what they did. He, uh, let's, let's close with this. Um, I, I'll make a point on your Russell Wilson thing, and then we'll make some predictions for Sunday. If you're the Saints and you are able to get into the postseason this year with what you're working with on offense – I, I, if you don't think that's appealing to someone like Russell Wilson, who started to plant the seeds last year of wanting out to say Absolutely. they got to the playoffs with that. Like, what if, what if I had been their quarterback? You kidding? 
Like, really? Oh, and yeah, here Pete Carroll, very old school, wants to run it, run it, run it. Sean Payton's just going to dictate his game plan based on what he is working with. So if I go there, I know I have a head coach that's also a play caller and will build an offense around what I do well. Um, it, 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 you, you're, I, I don't think this is a Super Bowl team, Gus, but, man, they got heart. Um, I don't know what happens Sunday, but it's the Falcons, so I picked the Saints to win. A six-and-a-half-point favorite, even though Atlanta's not good. That's a, that's a big line considering the Saints are, you know, again, what they're working with offensively. Uh, but I'm taking the Saints in this one, you know, I think 26, 20, something like that. Uh, I have not been to a game in a while. Um, last season, I wasn't in any of those very small crowds. Uh, and it is my son's first ever Saints game. And he hates the Falcons and he loves the Saints. So I have to be there, not in the press box, but with him. I'll be there Sunday. And um, I think the Saints are beating Atlanta. One, because Atlanta is bad. And two, because... Sean Payton has shown the ability to just, when he has time to game plan, he can get something done. I mean, Taysom Hill beat Atlanta twice last year. And that team last year had more playmakers on offense. I'm talking about the Falcons. Yeah, they had more playmakers on offense, too, for the Saints. But uh, I, I, think, I think the Saints win on Sunday, Gus. What's your prediction? Yeah, look, not having Calvin Ridley is is hard on them. They're having trouble protecting Matt Ryan. Their defense isn't exactly great. I watched a good chunk of that Panthers-Falcons game, and it was like watching paint dry. It was not good football. And and I told it to you when you came on our show on Wednesday. Two of the next three, on the field, off the bus, the Saints are better teams. They're better than Philadelphia, and they're better than Atlanta. Tennessee doesn't have Derrick Henry. I, Tennessee's still a good team. They're scrappy. They find a way to win. They're very well coached. You can get two of the next three. You're at seven, Scott. And you got a quarter of games that has Buffalo, Dallas, Jets are sandwiched, and then you're at Tampa. You go two and two in that stretch, I'm ecstatic. I think maybe you could split Buffalo and Dallas. Maybe they're both at home. I think it'd be fun. But my point is, man, if you can get the seven wins before that quarter of games, it gets to what you're saying. It's Panthers, it's the Dolphins, it's the Falcons. I, I, I think you're in the playoffs, you know? So I think this game's vital Sunday. And yeah. with that, I think you're going to get a pumped-up team. And I think the crowd finally showed up last week and, you know, obviously Tampa. It's easy to get get you know get up for that game and who you're playing and who you're playing against and all of that. But um, I, I just I, I would be kind of surprised if the Saints don't win that game because I think they can win it. I think they're the better team, and I think they're just in a better spot right now. But again, you, you got to go out here and do it. Um, let's see what happens um, afterwards, and you know, hopefully next Friday, sir, we're talking about them going to Tennessee. Uh, what is a three-game win streak? That is Gus Cagle, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. What did we learn? Uh, New Orleans is not happy with Zion Williamson currently. Billy Napier is a household brand. We both think the Saints had a big loss when they lost Jameis Winston and yet are still going to make the playoffs. 
And OBJ is expected to, the, Brown, the Browns plan to release him today, but we don't expect him to end up on the Saints, although many others do. Uh, we disagreed on a few things in there elsewhere. But for anyone that missed the whole convo I've had with Gus here on the Pro Nola segment this hour and also talking Cajun football, go back, listen to the podcast, Great Scott Show podcast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can hear the whole convo. Gus is always kind enough to join me each and every Friday here for the Pro Nola segment. Listen to him, ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans, weekdays noon to 3 for the sports hangover all the best, my friend. I will uh, talk to you next week. And, uh, yeah, man, hug your family for me, brother. I always appreciate the time. Yeah, for sure, man. And I know um, you have that special podcast you're going to put out there, too, where we spoke 56 minutes on the return of Mark Ingram. That's right. No, it, it's, that, that's a, no, that's a, that's a five-part series. Um, yeah, that, that's behind is... the paywall. you got to pay for it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Patreons get the intense... Hey man, hey, it's good. It's good. It, look, it's look, good man. for Ingram to be back, man. I brings a bunch of energy, and um, it, it's what we talked about last week, right? We said he could run the screens, he could pick up some protection. It was a big play on on that game winning drive, yep. where he picked up a blitzer and gave Trevor time to throw the football. That it's literally what we said last week. That's a plug and play guy that can help you. Um, win a game and and he did and you know man like you said at the beginning of the year though and, and as the season's going on this is fun this is fun and, and i kind of like the that not having the expectation level to an extent at a certain level right because you don't know what you're going to get and, and every week you're like okay great this guy went down and he's still trying to win i mean it's, it's nuts and that's why it's appealing if I'm Russell Wilsoner and Rogers, man, I'm not playing in the cold. I'm indoors. I got a coach that gets it. He's absolutely look. Pro what was it? Uh, the Athletic this week, you know, did like midseason grades or whatever, and they have Sean Payton as the coach of the year. Well, so yeah, in, in the mean, coaches, yeah, when you're one of those elite quarterbacks that's looking for a team, I I mean, again, Tom Brady was considering it. Yeah, so, that's where he wanted to go. If Breeze had retired, that was his first choice. But uh, Breeze came so. back. But look, I, I, I do want to say this. In the meantime, everybody, still enjoy this season. I mean, it's still, oh, yeah. the fact that they're 5-10 and 10 is, uh, is fun as hell right now, man. Uh, guys, always appreciate it, brother. Let's talk again soon, right? Sounds good, buddy. All right. Don't go anywhere. Great Scott Show continues right after this. The, uh, we'll dig into the latter part of the 8 o'clock hour. Open phone lines, audio from Coach Billy Napier from last night's win. couple of highlights talking Cajun football, Saints football. And the main reason, LSU-Alabama has zero buzz this year. And it's not for the reason you're thinking. I'll explain why there is no buzz around it, aside from the fact that Bama's a big favorite. That's coming your way next right here on The Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. ESPN 1420, KPEL, Lafayette, ESPN 1033K277DQ, Lafayette, a Town Square media station. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.
receivers to the right side, one to the left. Snap, Granger back to throw. Has time, has time. Pass away, and it's incomplete. Eric Garrer with the coverage. Trying to hit Pinckney again on the dig route and just couldn't get it done. And there's a turnover on downs, and Louisiana's going to get the football with a minute 25 to go. Welcome back. Into the great Scott show on ESPN Lafayette. I'm Scott Prather. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Now on the FM dial at 103.3, on the AM at 1420, of course, and online via the app worldwide. Phone lines are open at 269-1077. Cajuns win last night. Talked a lot about that. We've talked to a ton of Saints. Week 10 of the high, the regular season for high school football ends tonight. Had some teams play last night. Essential, Ascension Episcopal got a big win. Vermillion Catholic was victorious. We got the scores for you over at uh, ESPN1420.com. So the obvious reason why LSU-Bama lacks the buzz this year is because, you know, LSU's at 500 and they're, you know, they're struggling this year and they're a 28 and a half win underdog. Okay. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. LSU-Alabama, my entire life, has had more buzz surrounding the game, even in years when Curly Holman was the coach at LSU, even in years when Mike Shula was at Bama and they were on probation and they weren't that good. It always had more buzz than this. And you just look at recent history. It has been 15 years since LSU-Alabama was not on CBS, on network TV. This is on ESPN at 6 o'clock Saturday night. from Tuscaloosa. And even even if LSU was struggling, I I truly believe there would be slightly more buzz than there is right now. The lack of buzz is because even though everyone knew that Coach O was going to be let go at the end of the season, when you made the announcement publicly and you had a press conference on a Sunday and it was really weird and you shook hands and he signed the deal and said, I'm going to coach him the rest of this year. What you did was punt on the rest of the season. Oh, well, the players had already punted. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. Suddenly more players who were a little nicked up are like, yeah, I I can't play. To a point where there's a game where they can't even have, you know, their normal two deeps. Now Coach O's just being blatantly honest, talking about assistance and defensive staff and how bad they're doing and everything else. Would the morale be great if they hadn't have made that announcement ahead of time? No, but now your head coach is just kind of, you see him on the sideline when they were down by three touchdowns to Ole Miss, just kind of like, it's whatever. There has never been less interest in the actual games for LSU football than there have been the last few weeks. And if O was a sitting duck and everyone knew he was going to get fired, but it wasn't official, I know it may seem silly like semantics, but I'm telling you there would be a little bit more emphasis on the games. This is just, who's going to be the next head coach? How much is Bama going to win by? Do you take the over or the under? The game itself is just, it's secondary. And that's not cool. I mean, you still got 
Four games left. Yeah. I, lack of buzz in the decision, which was unprecedented in that, yeah, you have some coaches that get let go during a season. Rarely do you have a coach that says, I'm going to stick, you know, I'm going to stick here and we're going to, you know, I'm going to be replaced at the end of the season. And never have you had a press conference in the middle of the season where you shake hands and sign a paper that says, yeah, cool, I'll be gone at the end of the season, but you're still going to owe me $17 million. Yeah. ESPN Lafayette. Speaking of owing money. Miko Joe's owed 16.9 mil that'll be doled out in 18 installment payments through December of 2025. Paula Levine and Mark Schleback of ESPN released a story today about the amount of dead money in FBS sports. So you, we use the term dead money a lot when it pertains to the salary cap, and in particular the Saints salary cap. And boy, if they released this guy, how much would it hit on the cap and how much would it cost them next season when they're not even on the team? And that's when it's essentially called dead money. In college sports, dead money is what you're paying out to former coaches. From January 1, 2010 to January 31st, 2021. So we're talking... 11 years in a month. FBS conferences, FBS schools paid more than half a billion dollars in dead money. $533.6 million. Head coaches and assistant coaches in football, in men's basketball, and in women's basketball. Tens of millions of dollars weren't even including in this, right? So like Clay Helton, who's now at Georgia Southern, uh, whatever kind of agreement TCU will come to with Gary Patterson, obviously Coach O, uh, all that stuff, that's not even included in this. And in and, and Nebraska, I mean, they've, they've paid f- the most dead money. Check that. I'm sorry. No, they're second. During that time, Auburn, Auburn has paid $31.2 million in dead money. And the reality is, agents have only done their job, but agents have driven this number to what it is. And oh, wait, what about what about the kids? Oh, there's no money left for athletes. Oh, NIL. And, and all of those arguments regarding payment for student athletes and things like that and say, oh, what about the money? Where did the money go? All justified in this instance. And you can throw it at schools. These are agents that have slowly and methodically done this. Getting guys raises, getting guys bigger contract buyouts. I mean, in some instances, in a lot of instances, ADs and presidents are afraid to get left in the dust on the sports side of things. And they're going to pay a lot of money or get left behind. Period. And look, there are always going to be folks that feel like, oh, no matter what, you can't keep renegotiating, you can't give this coach money, you can't do this, you can't do that. And then if you don't do certain things, you get left behind and your sports teams aren't good, and now you're potentially losing out on a lot of other revenue that ends up getting brought into the university through sports. But if it ends up being a bad hire, 
533.6 million from January 1, 2010 to January 31st, 2021. 11 years and a month. A lot of money. Bottom of the hour, 269-1077. It's ESPN Lafayette. Said to the phone lines. Good morning. Welcome into the show. Hello. Hey, good morning, Scott, man. Uh, hey, Scott, are you familiar with Blake Rafino? Who? Blake Rafino, uh, 247 Sports. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know who that guy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's thinking, uh, I was listening to him last night. He's saying uh, the athletic director at LSU wants to make, you know, humongous, the biggest splash ever that he's ever done. He's, he's thinking it's going to be somewhere between $11 million a year, $100 million guaranteed. Why? That's insane. Like, why? I'm just talking about... That's, I mean, that's what he said. <laughs> I mean, why? Why would you I, listen? Listen, if you're if you're competing with someone else who wants to hire a coach and would pay that much, that's the only reason you should do it. You know, a lot of now I don't I, I don't necessarily know that I agree with Blake, but a lot of ads will will they negotiate against themselves? Like, what is yeah. what is a And M doing with these these all this guaranteed money for Jimbo? Like, yeah, he, no, in, in his contract. He's not even like he can leave. So it's not even a buyout in terms of we're afraid he's going to leave because he can leave without getting a dime. Like you keep re-upping these guys when in reality, I mean, even even after the dream season, the dream season for LSU. I mean, arguably the greatest college football season ever. It feels like 10 years ago. It wasn't even two years ago. It was we were in the thick of it two years ago. Right. That. okay, Yeah, he deserves a raise. But was Coach O going anywhere? Who are you negotiating no. against? I mean, he kept telling everybody, right. "I'm only going to be his my dream job." Everything was like he was he was never going anywhere. And they start negotiating right. against themselves. It inflates the market. Other schools start yeah. doing it, and then you get to a point now where you know I, again they're just doing their job, the, the agents. So I'm not even mad at them. Right. But at some point, I mean, ten years from now, are we going to be saying it's it's well over a billion in dead money? over the last 10 years because at some point it feels like it's got to it's got to slow down at some point but the way it's heading man there it doesn't seem like there's exactly. any end in sight what he said he said it's not slowing it down anytime soon but he said if you see a, a Lincoln Riley a Jimbo or something uh the biggest they will have the biggest contract in college football history man take care appreciate it if you know the, the splash thing is interesting you hear that a lot with Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU. Splash, splash, why let's do splash. You know, I've talked to a number of people in Baton Rouge that cover that team really close. People in the media, people that I trust. And a lot of times the conversation is, hey, do you think there's interest in Billy Napier? I mean, that's where, that's usually why they call me. That's why I call them. We're talking about it. Then we just start talking about Woodward in general. And by the way, I think there is some. But... The reality is Kim Mulkey had lost a lot of her hold and her power within Baylor Athletics. And yeah, she wasn't just going to leave for anything. But the timing was right. Chris Peterson for years never wanted to leave Boise State until he did. It wasn't like it was a point where you pried him away and he said, I will never, ever, 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 ever leave here. He called him up and he's like, yeah, I think I'd be interested. I think it's the right time in Washington. Oh, splash, splash. He got him to do this. Woodward's just interested in making the right hire first and foremost. 
I think the splash thing gets overplayed a lot. Some of it is more of it is coincidental than strategic, right? I mean, heck, Kimulke's a good hire. I was talking to Gary Broadhead the other day, Rage Cage Women's Basketball, tipping off their season, their regular season this Tuesday. You can hear it right here, doubleheader, women then men from the Cajun Dome. Go check it out. It's like, yeah, you know, having LSU come here is big. Kim Mulkey, the media is covering women's basketball. It's great. But a lot of it is coincidental more than, oh, it's he, he, he just wants to, wants to make a splash. 34 out there. When we come back, the Browns' decision on Odell Beckham Jr., the latest decision, anyway, from a financial standpoint, continues to remind you why they're the Browns. More highlights from UL's win last night and Saints-Falcons this Sunday. Don't go anywhere. ESPN Lafayette continues right after this. Browns remind everyone they're still... The stupid Browns. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'll explain next. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Rodgers goes in motion. There's the handoff to Johnson inside the 10, 5, touchdown, Louisiana. And smile if you're Dirty Dave's mom and dad. Now Dave Hudson on the backside of the scoop, fits up in there, gets a double biceps on the flex along with Johnson. Johnson's second touchdown of the night. It's ninth of the year. Welcome back. The final go-ahead score from last night's game. Louisiana wins it. 2117. Got an email during the break in regards to my comments about more of Woodward's moves being splashed by coincidence than strategy. Clark says, Are you kidding me? You didn't even mention Jimbo Fisher. The guy had won a championship at Florida State and he pried him away. Uh, Clark, pried him away? He won a national championship in 2013. You know, Jimbo left Florida State in the season he left, like, what was it? I think December of 2017. They were five and six. They were below 500 when he left there. And guess what? The next year, they haven't had a winning record at Florida State since 2016. Oh, yeah, but they would with Jimbo. I, maybe, but he didn't have one when he left that season. He saw what was happening. He saw where that thing was heading, and he said, oh, man, I get to go to A&M and get all this? Again, the timing was right for Jimbo. And when Woodward was at A&M, he made the hire. Let's not act like he left after winning a national title. That's not how it went down. It's not. It's not. All right. Odell Beckham Jr. Now, the Browns 
instead of trading him. All the reports were that they plan to release him today. Now they are working to convert his base salary into a signing bonus and expect to let him go in the next few days. Why are they doing this? They think it will improve the odds of him getting picked up off of waivers and therefore won't hurt their cap as much as if he just clears waivers. So the Browns, instead of converting his salary to a bonus and trading him Tuesday, are converting his salary to a bonus in hopes that he gets claimed this weekend off of waivers and there is no guarantee it could happen. A reminder, the Cleveland Browns are the Cleveland Browns. Even with the talent on their roster, they are still going to make dumb mistakes. 43 after the hour. Emails. Jake says, Falcons hate week. Can't stand that team, but nervous. I'd be nervous if Drew Brees was still in his prime, but instead the Saints are likely going to start Taysom Hill or Trevor Simeon. Scott, tell me why I shouldn't be nervous. Uh, I'm not going to tell you why you shouldn't be nervous. If you're nervous, I'm not, I'm, not here to talk. I'm not here to tell you the Saints have the roster to go out there and beat a terrible Falcons team by 40. They don't. They don't. But the Saints have a defense and an offensive line to go out there and beat a bad Atlanta team. Yeah. Atlanta, they like to throw the ball a ton. They haven't run it well this year. They don't, you know, I mean, you slow down the tight end. That's, that rookie is a stud, by the way. And, uh, you know, Matt, Matt Ryan has been sacked an ungodly amount of times. In particular, by the Saints. No player in the NFL quarter, no, no current quarterback in the NFL has been sacked more by any other player in the league than Matt Ryan has by Cam Jordan. In fact, Cam Jordan has the all-time NFL record for most sacks against a single player, and that would be Matt Ryan. The Saints have sacked Matt Ryan 36 times in just the last four years, and I think 13 of them just in the last four years have been from Cam Jordan. 187 total sacks for New Orleans in the last four seasons, and Matt Ryan accounts for almost 20% of them. That's <laughs> just, it's crazy. Matt Ryan's 9 and 16 against his arch rival Saints, and he's been sacked 63 times in 25 games. Get pressure on him. Get pressure on him. If you do that, then okay. You don't need to be nervous. You don't. Aaron Rodgers is now furious, furious. I'll tell you why next. Final segment of the Great Scott Show. More of your emails. Hit us up on Twitter at ESPN Lafayette is the handle. And Coach Napier, his immediate postgame comments last night after the win for UL. You'll hear him next right here. On the Great Scott Show, I'm Scott Prather, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.
Welcome back into the great Scott show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. 1033 on the FM dial. 1420 on the AM. Streaming worldwide via the app. If you're listening via the app, it's brought to you by Champagne's Mark on the Will Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Aaron Rodgers, according to Pro Football Talks, Mike Florio is absolutely furious that his vaccination status was leaked. He had put up a ruse this season that he was vaccinated. I guess he just didn't want to deal with the questions or the criticism from some that was doled out to Kirk Cousins or Carson Wentz or Lamar Jackson back in August when, yeah, some doled out criticism and then everyone sort of got over it. I say everyone. Most kind of got over it and said, okay, they're not going to do it. They're going to follow these guidelines and it is what it is. I mean, how many times, like, if you if you watched Colts-Jets last night, and I didn't, it was a Cajun field, if you saw Carson Wentz on the sideline with a mask, you're like, oh, look at this jabroni. You're not even really thinking about it. You're just watching the game. But now Rodgers, well, you're thinking about it because he's out this Sunday when the Packers are playing at the Chiefs. Jordan Love's got to make a start, and Aaron Rodgers tried to be, you know, evasive, secretive, still, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, nice. And no one really followed up, and the NFL doesn't share the names of players who have or have not been vaccinated. The the media sometimes gets a hold of it. Then it becomes a story. But you can also see how a player, if, what, sort of what guidelines they're following. Are they following certain rules on the sidelines? Are they wearing a mask? And you can kind of figure it out on your own, unless you're somebody that just doesn't follow those guidelines, like Aaron Rodgers. And, of course, the NFL and their double standard won't punish him, and it is what it is. It's just, hey, that's life. Leagues treat superstars differently. And the NFL said, yeah, we'll investigate whether they violated COVID-19 protocols. Uh, They did. We could all see it. And then in a statement, the league said failure to properly enforce COVID-19 protocols could result in in discipline being assessed against individual clubs. Okay. We'll believe it when we see it, guys. Furious. Aaron Rodgers and the front office in Green Bay do not like one another at all. This is another example. Aaron probably shouldn't have tried to keep a secret in the first place or at least just keep it, you know, create a ruse. Now he's getting more heat from it and apparently he's furious at people in the organization. Not exactly sure who, but my guess is he has some suspicions of who it is. And after the Packers got blown out by the Saints week one, 38 to three, they haven't lost since. They haven't lost since. So what do you want about A.A. Ron? He's still incredible. And he will be playing somewhere else next season. A week from this Sunday, the Packers play the Seahawks. And the two quarterbacks in that game both will be playing somewhere else next season. I say be playing in that game. Who knows? Maybe, maybe Rodgers doesn't clear by that point. I don't know. But the starting quarterback of those two teams. Cajuns get the win last night. Coach, what did you tell your team at halftime? Hadn't scored yet. We're making some mistakes. Hadn't put it all together. Eventually, you get it together, you win. What did you tell them at halftime? One of the things that I've really been impressed with with our team is you don't have to explain what happened and uh, maybe why we didn't get the result we wanted. They know, right? I mean, we've worked extremely hard around here to develop football IQ 
Uh, we teach our systems at a high level. They understand why we're doing what we're doing, how they should do it. Uh, and when something happens, um, they know, okay, hey, uh, this was why we didn't you know, get the result that we need there. So it was a lack of execution, right? Uh, it had nothing to do with, you know, it was a lack of execution, a lack of decision-making, poor fundamentals. I mean, they know. Um, so um, it's just really impressive to me to see that on both sides of the ball on special teams, just really good awareness um, in football IQ and an understanding of why things are maybe not going the way they should. So That's going to do it for the great Scott Show. Have a great weekend, everybody. I will talk to you all bright and early Monday morning. Remember, you gain an hour 2 a.m., middle of the night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Enjoy that hour. Do something with it. Rest, sleep, spend time with your family. Rest up, watch football. Great high school football tonight, including right here. Livonia at Brobridge. Keep up to date with all of the games tonight. Over at ESPN1420.com and on the ESPN Lafayette app, we will be updating the scores throughout the night. Hit refresh, follow it. Hard to believe the regular season is ending tonight in high school football, but that's where we're at. Seems like it's flown by. Monday morning, I'll talk to Coach Billy Napier. UL Baseball playing the 2014 team. How cool is that? On Sunday at 3, I'm a little bummed. I don't get to see it. I'll be at the Saints game, my son's first ever Saints game. Saints-Falcons, I had to go to New Orleans for that. Been planned for a little while, but for those that want to go see UL take on the 2014 team and a little exhibition this Sunday, 3 o'clock, MLT Moorfield, the Russo Park admission free to the public. You can read more about it over at our website. Have a great weekend, everybody. Scott Prather. I'll talk to you guys on Monday. Dan Patrick is next. What up, guys? I'm here to tell you about the DraftKings Sportsbook that's coming to Louisiana. I'm not talking about the fantasy aspect of DraftKings, which is awesome. I'm talking about the actual sportsbook because it won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home. And to celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving customers $100 in free bets when you sign up before they go live. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook giving $100 in free bets just for signing up today. No deposit required. It's bringing their experience as a leader in daily fantasy sports to the sports betting world and have created one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, DraftKings Sportsbook. In the meantime, while they're preparing to launch the DraftKings Sportsbook in Louisiana, you can play right now for huge cash prizes with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code 1420 when you sign up. Because when you do, $100 in free bets to use on mobile sports betting in Louisiana as soon as it hits. That's code 1420 to get $100 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-877-770-STOP. Must be 21 or older. Louisiana only. Availability varies by parish. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions.